is the Valley Labor Report. My name is <clears throat> Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today uh, we are <clears throat> dissecting the tentative agreement at UPS with some help from Teddy Ostro. Uh, the Alabama Education Association's gamble paid off this legislative session, but their luck may be running out. We're going to talk to you about what happened last week in Southern Labor. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also send us a text message through that number, but... We're not going to be taking calls for a little while. Uh, not going to be taking calls until after we have had Teddy on. Uh, we've got a couple of Alabama stories that we wanted to get to before uh, we started taking calls, but very excited to hear uh, especially what uh, the UPS Teamsters in the audience think about the tentative agreement. Um, that's very, uh, we're, we're really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. We are not Teamsters. We are not uh, UPS workers. Uh, we're just members of other unions here in Alabama who happen to have a union radio show. And so this is obviously a very big topic in, the, in our world. Uh, if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online, particularly on our website, tvlr.fm. You should bookmark that page and sign up for our newsletter so we can send you our new stuff. We have pre-orders open for our new shirt, tvlr.fm slash store. And if you want to become a monthly donor, you can go to tvlr.fm slash donate. Our largest single source of sponsors come a uh, single source of funding comes directly from our listeners so we could not do this without your support uh also if you're a member of a union then definitely think about getting your local to sponsor the show we couldn't do it without our union sponsors as well uh so uh please consider that if you're a member of a union here locally or not locally yeah, absolutely. And let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Unclaimed Mysteries Internet Radio, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out. As most of you know, we are not media professionals, just a few diehard unionists who believe that Alabama and the South's labor movement and working class deserve a bigger platform. We're hoping this project can make a difference on that front, 
and we could not do it without you. We want to thank everyone for tuning in, whether you're a loyal fan or a first-time listener. We appreciate you spending some time with us. Speaking of people spending time with us, we have in the studio today, Simon Peter is a local comedian who frequently performs at Shenanigans uh, over off of Lehman Ferry Road. Uh, Simon, uh, introduce yourself. Talk to us about uh, what you do around here. All right. Uh, My name is Simon Peter. I go by the stage name Sci-Fi. I'm just a stand-up comedian, like he said, locally here in Huntsville. Um, kind of regional. Been performing in Laughing Skull out in Atlanta, a couple of places up in Nashville, Birmingham as well. Um, I'm just a really silly guy, so it's kind of ironic that I'm here, actually. <laughs> I find it very ironic. All right. Well, uh, glad to have you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, we are We are not, uh, like we were like we were talking about before the show, we are not... Uh, very funny people, and we've always talked about having a uh, trying to have a have a make the show a little bit more entertaining. So, uh, so here's to that happening today. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. So with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into our first segment today, um, and that is going to be uh, last week in Southern Labor. That's a segment that we did for a long time with the support of Jonah Furman who did a newsletter rounding up everything that happened in labor across the country in one newsletter. It was a very ambitious project, and he was very good at it. Uh, It was called Who Gets the Bird? And we compiled the information uh, from the South out of that newsletter and talked about it here with his permission and cooperation. Uh, But he is now international comms director for the UAW, so he's got (laughs) bigger fish to fry than helping us on our radio program but we're very happy for him um and so we've we've started uh, trying to duplicate that effort and uh, today is going to be uh one of our first cracks at it and so uh in the last week there have been and one of the reasons that we think this segment is is so important is that you know the the stuff there's stuff happening all across the south all the time right um workers are moving all, all, all the time they're always filing for union elections. They are winning grievances. They're winning back pay for their members. They are uh, getting their members' jobs back after they've been un- unjustly fired. And so we wanted to highlight. We want to highlight a little bit of that uh, to kind of bring that to light because not enough uh, not enough people know about it. And so uh, the uh, BCTGM International Union, the uh, Bakers uh, Confectionery Tobacco and Grain Millers Union, is organizing at Miller's uh, Miller Coors in Elkton, Virginia, filing on July the twentieth to represent three hundred and fifty-three full and part-time hourly employees in blending and brewing and packaging in the warehouse. On the twenty-first, the United Association of Plumbers and Pipe Fitters. Uh, filed to represent 76 employees at Amtec Controls Southeast in Pineville, North Carolina. Uh, and included in that bargaining unit are all full-time and regular part-time production and maintenance employees, including welders, fitters, painters, blasters, material handlers, machinists, crane operators, quality control technicians, and testers, helpers employed by the employer at its location in Pineville. The Communication Workers of America filed to represent 46 employees at Georgia Windstream LLC in Dalton, Georgia on July the 24th. In Orlando, Florida, the United Electrical, uh, the, in, uh, CWA's 
Industrial Union Division uh, filed to represent 25 workers at GE Appliances Factory Service Business of Hare U.S. Appliance uh, U.S. Appliance Solutions on July the 24th. Um, ostensibly, we share the District of Columbia with the country. So, uh, up next week out of D.C., the uh, SEIU, Service Employees International Union Local 500, filed on July the 26th to represent 19 workers at GW Museum and the Textile Museum. The International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council, District Council 51, Local Union 963, filed on July the 26th to represent 13 full-time and regular part-time glazers, foremen, and field caulkers at Fredericksburg Glass and Mirror in Fredericks, Fredericksburg, Virginia. On July the 27th, the BCTGM International Union filed to represent 16 full-time and part-time hourly employees at... Flower Garden Bakery in Richmond, Virginia. And finally, in a small election, the United Association of Journeymen and uh, Apprentices of the Plumbing and Pipe Fitting Industry of the United States, Local Union 669, Road, uh, road Sprinkler Fitters filed on July the 27th to represent five workers at E-Fire Southern Incorporated in Gulfport, Mississippi. All right. Now, turning to the strike map for the AFL-CIO, the BCTGM, the 390G, has been on strike since June 4th against International Flavors and Fragrances in Memphis, Tennessee. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW 1464, are on strike against Wabtec since October of last year in Kansas mm. City, Missouri. The United Food and Commercial Workers, UFCW 655, on strike against Shangri-La Marijuana Dispensary since May in Columbia, Missouri. Interesting uh, that the marijuana dispensary has had a strike since May. In Nashville, Tennessee, Coffee Workers of the South, UFCW 1995, have been on strike against Three Brothers Coffee since June 13th. Of course, outside the South, there are strikes happening with grad students in, at the University of Michigan, as well as hotel workers in Los Angeles, among other places. And earlier this month, outside the AFL-CIO, Starbucks Workers United struck quite a few Starbucks locations across the South from Kentucky to Texas. And shout out to the Union of Southern Service Workers, which is part of the SEIU Fight for 15 movement, which struck a Waffle House in Columbia, South Carolina for three days on July 8th through 10th over pay, health and safety, staffing, into mandatory meal deduction policy, and scheduling. All of the strike info was provided by the Cornell IL. ILR School Labor Action Tracker. Let us know if uh, there's anything that we missed, and we'll be happy to include it in next week's update. And feel free to send us any tips throughout the week as they come in. Absolutely. Um, we want to, of course, you know, the goal is for this to be as exhaustive of a list as possible. But, um, you know, we're only two folks, and there's only so much that we can uh, see on our own. So feel free to shoot us a tip if you see anything that you think would be worth including in Last Week in Southern Labor. Uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and head to a break, uh, pay a couple of bills, and we'll be right back uh, talking about uh, what bosses were up to last week. And it is not good. <laughs> and then we're going to be talking to Teddy Ostro about the tentative agreement at UPS. Stay tuned, folks. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and family members are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough even to keep their jobs. We can fix this. 
It's time for us to find a way to close the health care coverage gap so that people can remain at work. Let's make this a priority. Let's close this gap and cover Alabama. To learn more and how you can help, visit CoverAlabama.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Sinyard Law, the name with proven results. 
Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host Adam Keller and Sci-Fi in studio today. Um, Appreciate everybody tuning in, uh, hanging out with us in the chat and appreciate the conversation. A lot of team UPS Teamsters in the chat today. Really uh, looking forward to hopefully uh, some of y'all will be able to call in after we get Teddy on to talk about what's in this tentative agreement um, because there's a, what I'm seeing in the chat is really kind of representative. There's some, there's certainly some division. There's some people that, uh, that, that think it's, that think it's good enough, people that don't think it's good enough. And so uh, the question is, is how many people are on each side? Uh, but uh, like I said, we, you know, uh, we're definitely uh, not uh, UPS Teamsters, um, but we are excited for what has been gained um, in this contract. And uh, you know, it, and the question is whether or not UPS Teamsters think it is enough. I also wanted to read a text message that we got last week from Jack in New Jersey. He said, I recently saw a local production of Rent and find myself wondering whether the theater had union representation. I was thrilled to learn that the Paper Mill Playhouse has contracts with IATSE Local 21, the American Federation of Musicians 16-248, and also has an LORT contract. The Stagehands Local 21 also represents the folks working backstage at the Asbury Park music venues. Shout out to Adam and his union brothers and sisters who make the art that we love possible. Absolutely. Really appreciate that, brother. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a proud member of IATSE Local 900. We'll talk a little bit about IATSE probably later in the show, but really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, glad to see the union representation right there. Absolutely. So uh, another regular segment that we have been doing is Boss Watch, uh, because every night if you look on the local news, you're going to see some poor or working person accused, remember, alleged, that's when these mugshots are taken, they've not been convicted of anything, of petty theft, of shoplifting, of, you know, all sorts of things. But the fact of the matter is that bosses commit just as many or in fact more crimes <laughs> than working people, but you don't see their mugshots. So we want to do what little we can to rectify that. Just a couple of really quick statistics. Uh, wage theft accounts for more stolen property than all other property crime combined in the United States. In Alabama, the homicide rate is 6.2 per 100,000 and the workforce death rate is 5.5 per 100,000. You are just as likely to die on the job in the state of Alabama as you are to be murdered, but our news does not reflect that. So we're trying to do what we can. Let's start off in Jacksonville, Florida, where the U.S. Department of Labor investigation finds that Jacksonville psychiatric treatment facilities failed to keep workers safe and follow safety procedures. This came out on July the 25th. OSHA cited United Health Services of Delaware Incorporated, uh, which ran facilities in Florida, after a patient attacked a worker. 
a federal workplace safety investigation found a Jacksonville psychiatric health and substance disorder facility did not follow safety procedures, leaving workers vulnerable to injuries, including one patient, including one who a patient reportedly kicked in the face. The U.S. Department of Labor's o- Occupational Safety and Health Administration learned a registered nurse employed employed by UHS of Delaware Incorporated and TBJ Behavioral Center LLC, which operated as River Point Behavioral Health, is never a good sign when you've got all of these all of these names. You know, oh, this is operated by this person, which is affiliated with this LLC. That's just never a good sign. Um, <laughs> a registered nurse was writing reports in January of 2023 when a patient entered the staff-only workspace. The patient then allegedly punched and kicked the nurse in the face and head, causing the employee to suffer suffer several injuries, including a loss of consciousness and lacerations. This is wow. a very, very serious injury here. The OSHA area office director, Scott Tisdale, in Jacksonville, Florida, said, Our investigation found that Riverpoint Behavioral Health failed to address their employees' safety concerns in a timely manner. No one should have to go to work daily fearing for their lives and physical well-being. And so, after an investigation, OSHA issued the organization a citation for a serious violation for its failure to provide a workplace free from recognized health and safety hazards, which caused or were likely to cause serious physical harm, and the agency proposed $15,622.25 in fines. Uh, And just on background about this organization... Since 2017, OSHA has investigated three Florida facilities affiliated with UHS of Delaware Incorporated after similar complaints about exposure to workplace violence. Riverpoint Behavioral Health employs about 182 workers in Jacksonville and finances patient care in part by federal insurance plan like, plans like Medicare and TRICARE. UHS of Delaware Incorporated is affiliated with UHS Inc., which is one of the nation's largest hospital and healthcare services uh, services systems with 400 acute care hospitals, behavioral health facilities, and ambulatory centers in the United States, Puerto Rico, and the UK. The company's got 15 business days from receipt of their citations to comply, to request an informal conference with OSHA, or to contest the findings. Heading over to South Carolina on July the 20th, the Department of Labor recovered $66,000 in back wages for 20 workers after finding that overtime and minimum wage violations at six Napa auto parts locations. The investigation found that Bellinger Parts Group and Parts Group Incorporated that operates as Napa Auto Parts stores made illegal deductions from the employees' pay at six South Carolina locations for store damage, cash register shortages, and uniforms. Oh, no. 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 Come on now. You can't do that. You can't deduct. That's illegal. Uh, And these deductions even cost some workers' pay to fall below the $7.25 an hour minimum wage. That's just low down. Yeah, that was set by the Federal Labor Standards Act. So really bad stuff here from the Bellinger Parts Group. They also failed to pay non-exempt salary counter salespeople and delivery drivers overtime for hours worked over 40 in a work week. Investigators also learned that the employer did not include non-discretionary sales bonuses in some employees' regular rate when calculating correct overtime rates, causing the organization to pay overtime premiums at rates lower than what is required by law. 
The back wedges were recovered in the amount of $66,322 for 20 employees. Uh, so really wild stuff there. S literally stealing from their paychecks and uh, not paying overtime and then paying less than the overtime they earned. Really crazy stuff. Heading a little bit inland in Fairfax, Virginia. On July the 18th, a court required Virginia home care provider and owners to pay about, get this, $1.6 million in back wages and liquidated damages to 202 employees willfully denied overtime. And see, this is the thing that I'm talking about, right? These people stole. They stole almost a million dollars from their employees. But they're not going to get arrested. You're not going to see their mugshots on the news. But if you get a fella goes into the dollar store and takes some deodorant, right? You're going to see his face on the news. You're going to see her face on the news. But you're not going to see these people on the news. My cousin's face on the news. Yeah. But way less than <laughs> this, this is insane, man. Yeah. Every week, stuff like this comes out. Every single week. So the first adult and pediatrics healthcare services must also pay $48,000 in penalties for the violations. A federal court has directed a Fairfax home care agency and its owners to pay more than $1.6 million in back wages and liquidated damages to 202 home health aides in a consent judgment obtained by the United States Department of Labor. This action by the U.S. District Court of the Eastern District of Virginia follows an investigation of the company by the department's wage and hour division that the company and uh, that found the company and its owners, Carolyn Brant Taylor and Kafumdi Josephine Okacha, willfully denied the affected workers overtime wages by paying them straight time rates for all hours worked, including hours over 40 in a work week. The investigators also learned that the employers did not even keep required payroll records, which is also a violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act. And despite well, Jacob, you don't keep records yeah. of your own misdeeds, right? <laughs> right. That's, yeah, that's the thing. Is yeah. <laughs> but despite the division's findings, the company and Bryant Taylor and Okacha, they refused to pay back wages and damages that were owed to the workers. In September of 2022, the department's office of the regional solicitor filed suit to recover the money's owned owed. So right. The Department of Labor said, hey, uh, you know, you've stolen money from people. You got to pay it back. OK. And they they just said no. They just said no. And in September of 2022. So this is almost a year ago now that these that the Department of Labor filed suit to get this because they wouldn't willingly comply with orders from the federal government. That's pretty wild. The court's judgment required the employees to pay $834,000 in back wages and an equal amount in liquidated damages to the affected workers. They must also pay uh, $48,000 in civil money penalty to the department for their intentional violations. And here's, uh, here's this as well. They can't violate the law in the future. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure, not sure how effective that order is going to be, but we'll see, I guess. Uh, heading back down to Florida in Sebastian on July the 21st, the EEOC uh, released this uh, uh, released a press release saying that Hocorp Incorporated must pay $50,000 to settle a discrimination lawsuit. This is because the fast food restaurant franchise uh, did not 
provide interpreters to applicants and employees, ASL interpreters. Hocorp is a fast food restaurant franchise operating seven restaurants in Indian River and Brevard counties. They are going to be paying $50,000 and provide American Sign Language interpreters to applicants and employees upon request for interviews, orientations, trainings, and performance reviews to settle a disability discrimination lawsuit brought by the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the federal agency announced on July the 21st. And so this is, just in case you think this is being too much, right? It's not that they've got to hire an ASL interpreter to follow these people around the entire time. If their disability is to an extent that they just can't perform the job, the Equal Employment uh, and Opportunity Commission does not require you to hire them for that job. But they do require you to make reasonable accommodations. And a reasonable accommodation for somebody that is, that is hard of hearing is an American Sign Language or sign language Interpreter for things like this, like interviews, orientations, trainings, and performance reviews, right? Those are not, you're not got an ASL person following them around all the time. These are just critical elements where you are able to apply for the job, where you're being rated, stuff like this. So uh, it's absolutely doable to have that kind of thing for people on request. Uh, and it's the law, actually, to do that. According to the EEOC suit, an applicant advised Hocorp's hiring and training manager uh, that she was hard of hearing and asked for an ASL interpreter for her orientation with the company. The manager responded by stating that Hocorp does not provide ASL interpreters, which made it impossible for the applicant to attend the orientation and start her job. Such alleged conduct violates the Americans with Disability Act, which prohibits discrimination based on a disability. The EEOC filed suit in U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida, West Palm Beach Division. Uh, after first attempting to reach a pre-litigation settlement through its conciliation process, in addition to the monetary relief, the three-year consent decree requires Hocorp to update its job postings and hiring advertisements, revise its anti-discrimination policies, post a notice regarding this lawsuit and report on the handling of requests for reasonable accommodations. Hocorp will also provide live training to owners, managers, and human resources personnel on the Americans with Disabilities Act, as well as training de uh, designed specifically to raise awareness about issues affecting the deaf community and dispelling stereotypes associated with, hearing, uh, with hiring deaf or hard-of-hearing individuals. Finally, Hocorp will conduct an internal audit to identify potential obstacles and to make the workplace more accessible to deaf and hard of hearing applicants. Uh, the EEOC Miami District Director Evangeline Hawthorne said that Hocor should be commended for agreeing to a consent decree early in this litigation. This settlement mm. uh, includes provisions that ensure deaf and hard of hearing applicants and employees will have the benefit of ASL interpreters going forward, and we appreciate Hocorp's commitment to the improvement. A <laughs> uh, little late, but okay. Right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah being uh, diplomatic there. Right. They clearly are. <laughs> yeah, they're just glad they settled. I understand. <laughs> In Houston, Texas, on July the 17th, Lion Elastomers pays $175,000 to settle an EEOC disability discrimination lawsuit, uh, settling federal charges that the company subjected job applicants to disability discrimination because of perceived back impairments. The background on this is that Lion Elastomers is a manufacturing plant in Port Neches, 
Texas, and they agreed to pay $175,000 and provide other relief pursuant to a dis- consent decree entered by a federal district court on July the 7th, resolving a disability discrimination lawsuit filed by the EEOC. Uh, the complaint alleged that the company denied employment to a class of individuals it unlawfully regarded as disabled. According to the lawsuit, after being offered packing operator slash materials handler positions, the class member applicants were required to undergo pre-employment medical and physical examinations. The EEOC charged that Lyon then unlawfully rescinded the class member's job offers based on the company's perception that the class members had back impairments and were unable to lift heavy objects. Additionally, the suit alleged that Lyon violated federal regulations by failing to maintain personnel records related to its hiring and termination decisions. The federal agency alleged that such conduct violated the Americans with Disabilities Act, which prohibits employers from discriminating against applicants and employees because of their actual perceived or record of disability. In addition to the monetary relief, the 30-month consent decree uh, settling the suit requires Lyon to revise its anti-discrimination policies and distribute them to its employees and provide its managers and human resources personnel specialized training on the Americans with Disabilities Act provisions against disability discrimination and their legal obligation to prevent, address, and remedy disability discrimination. The decree also requires Lyon to post a discrimination notice at its Port Neches facility, comply with record-keeping and reporting requirements of the ADA, and submit periodic compliance reports to the EEOC. This This lawsuit should remind employers that the ADA protects applicants as well as employees from disability discrimination, said Rudy Sustaita, regional attorney for the EEOC's Houston District Office. Final... Uh, final story here for Boss Watch. In Louisiana and Texas on July the 25th, the Department of Labor announced that they found McDonald's franchisees allowing minors to work longer and later than the law permits as well as operate dangerous equipment. The investigations identify violations in two states affecting, affecting 83 minors at 16 locations. Federal investigations at 16 McDonald's franchises uh, in Louisiana and Texas have found child labor violations affecting 83 minors. And in Louisiana, the investigators with the department's wage and hour division discovered that CLB Investments in Metairie employed 72 workers, 14 and 15-year-olds, to work longer and later than the law permits at 12 restaurants in Kenner, Jefferson, Metairie, and New Orleans. The division determined that the employer allowed three children to operate a manual deep fryer, which is a task prohibited for employees employees under 16. The department assessed CLB investments with $56,106 in civil money penalties for violations found at these 12 locations, one of which is now closed. The division also found similar violations at four McDonald's locations operated in Texas by Merwin & Son LLC in Cedar Park, Georgetown, and Leander. Investigators found that the company employed 10 minors, 14 to 15 years old, to work longer and later than permitted. They also learned that the employer allowed seven children to perform jobs prohibited or considered hazardous for young workers. Specifically, the employer allowed all seven to operate a manual deep fryer and oven, and two of the seven to also use a trash compactor. 
The department also assessed Merwin and Son with $21,466 in civil money penalties for its violations. These findings follow a May 2023 announcement of federal investigations that found child labor violations by three McDonald's franchisees, uh, franchise operators in Kentucky, which involved more than 300 children at 62 locations in four states. So this is something that is happen- happening across McDonald's franchises across the country. we got to protect the kids, y'all. Yeah. Right. I feel like that's such a big thing right now. Everybody's talking about protecting kids. And that's why it's a great thing that you guys are doing this, because I have not been hearing any of this on the news whatsoever. Right. And like I said, this is this is all just stuff from the last week, week and a half. Yeah. This kind of stuff comes out on the Department of Labor every single day. Yeah. And this is just from the South. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's insane. Like half the time I'm sitting back. I'm just in awe over here because I'm like. When did this happen? Nobody <laughs> told me anything. Like, that uh, stat that you said at the very beginning of the uh, segment where you're saying uh, the uh, homicide rate in Alabama mm-hmm. is uh, what was six it? point two, six point two. But the uh, you're like five point five. It's uh, you could die on the job. Yeah, yeah, six point two per one hundred thousand people yeah. uh, die by homicide in Alabama every mm-hmm. year, and five point five per one hundred thousand die in Alabama on the job. That's insane. I feel like if people knew that, it would just flip the... Let's take something like the first 48 hours. If you watch Mm -hmm. a show like that, you go, wow, Birmingham, I don't want to go there. I'm going to get murdered. Well, it turns out (laughs) you don't want to go to work because you might Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And the... uh, you know, that stat, 5.5 per 100,000, uh, I found that from the AFL-CIO's death on the job report that came out back in April. They do that every year. Yeah. And it showed that our uh, death rate on the job is the fourth highest in the country, which is one of the reasons that CNBC ranked Alabama as the fourth worst place to live and work. And the Council of Bosses, uh, also known as the Business Council of Alabama, came out with an op-ed. The president of of the organization came out with an op-ed in the Alabama Political Reporter last week, uh, really protesting too much, I think, about that, (laughs) about that CNBC thing. She was talking about, I mean, the funny thing is, is that she didn't cite any statistics about like, how it's good to work in Alabama yeah. or anything like that. She just said, oh, we've got so much good values and all of this good stuff. Um, and another funny thing about her is that she's ostensibly a Democrat. Mm. She, you know, uh, that that's what a lot of the Republicans, when she became president of the Business Council of Alabama, they were making a bunch of noises about, oh, no, she's a Democrat. She's not going to be good for business interests. Yeah. And, well, this op-ed coming out uh, right. after the CNBC she is perfectly comfortable uh, with <laughs> screwing over workers just as much as any Republican. Um, so, yeah, really, really crazy stuff. Here's some more background on the child labor stuff. In fiscal year 2022, the division found that child labor violations involving uh, 300 or 3,876 children nationwide, which is an increase of more than 60% per, uh, since 2018. Uh, all of this also comes amid pushes across the country by Republican state legislatures to loosen child labor laws, including in one state, attempting to allow children to go back into the coal mines. What? Yes, that's real. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right. Yeah. 
I think that was Iowa. Was that Iowa, Adam? Yeah, Iowa, I know, has been really trying to loosen up child labor laws. Arkansas has loosened up theirs to some extent. I think we've talked about that where they did away with parental consent being yes. required. What? Which is a little scary. Um, <laughs> what? I can envision lots of bad scenarios playing out that way. Yeah. All right. I think there's TV shows that start out that way. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. it, it is a little bit scary. Like we've said before, you know, we thought we won on the child labor issue a hundred years ago. We thought yeah. like, okay, that that's done. That's squashed. Check that off the list. Uh, but here we are in 2023 dealing with child labor just, you know, running rampant all over our country. That is insane. Yeah. Uh, that's no other way to describe it. Um, but <laughs> that's it for uh, that's it for our Boss Watch segment. Um, and we're going to be bringing on Teddy Ostro really uh, in, in just a few minutes to talk about this tentative agreement at UPS. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to that for sure. We felt like this would be a really good opportunity to talk about because this whole saga with the Teamsters and UPS, it's really kind of captured the the country's imagination um, uh, or the country's attention in a lot of ways. And it is, you know, whatever the outcome from the membership, whether or not they vote in the tentative agreement, this is really illustrative uh, of the power that working people have when we come together, when we bargain together, when we organize together, that we simply don't get when we uh, when we try to bargain individually, right? And that that's a whole that's a a really big ethos in the state of Alabama among a lot of people. You know, people tell me I'm, I'm a union activist. I'm on the board of our labor council here. I am a steward. I, I, you know, I'm really involved in the labor movement. And so many people tell me, if your job is so bad, uh, why don't you just get a different one? And that's not the way to make jobs better, <laughs> right? Uh, that, and that's not, how, uh, that's not how the Teamsters made their jobs better. That's not how the Teamsters won $42 an hour for full-time package car drivers, which is what they make right now, and it's not how they were able to secure $49 an hour by the end of the contract if this tentative agreement is ratified. Uh, it's not how, you know, that it's just not how gains are made doing this individual kind of thing. It's coming together and, and using your power, um, and, and that's really what unions are about. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to remind folks, you know, a little bit about why unions are a good thing for workers uh, because of some, so much attention that has been brought on by this struggle, uh, the struggles of the actors and writers on strike and, and so many other high profile labor struggles happening right now. Uh, so obviously we're going to talk about the tentative agreement between the Teamsters and UPS and, and wherever you line up on that or other questions around leadership or other issues. I think we can find broad consensus that workers are better off at UPS with representation through the Teamsters than similar workers in non-union facilities, right? I'd much rather work for UPS as a driver than FedEx. And we can see a distinct union advantage for the workers. And because the workers are stronger through organization, they are better off on a material basis. They get to vote up or down on a contract proposal negotiated by their representatives. They get to elect leaders, organize caucuses, contest elections, change bylaws, debate at the meetings and assemblies. Unions are human institutions and thus fallible institutions. 
but unions are ultimately to varying degrees worker institutions and democratic institutions that belong to the membership and we can and should always be organizing to ensure that they are vibrantly democratic institutions that are by and for the members and institutions that see themselves as part of a broader labor movement and working class movement to build a better world that is not only possible but necessary. And I want to turn to Michael Yates who wrote a classic book published by our friends over at the Monthly Review Press called Why Unions Matter. Yates argued, quote, that unions mattered because they were the one institution that has dramatically improved the lives of the majority of the people and had the potential to radically transform both the economic and political landscape, making both more democratic. Yates showed with clear and decisive data that union members enjoyed significant advantages over non-union workers, higher wages, more and better benefits, better access to many kinds of leaves of absence, a democratic voice in their workplaces, and a better understanding of their political and legal rights. What is more, unions benefited non-union workers through their political agitations and through what is called the spillover effect. Non-union employers will treat their employees better if only to avoid unionization. But hey, you don't have to take it from me or from Michael Yates. Uh, let's see what the United States Department of Labor says on their website. Quote, labor unions improve wages and working conditions for all workers, whether they are union members or not. Unions help reduce wage gaps for women workers and workers of color. Union members have better job safety protections and better paid leave than non-union workers and are more secure exercising their rights in the workplace. As I said, unions are human institutions with human leadership. There are tensions and contradictions and faults within our labor movement and among the institutions that make it up. There's political tension between conservatives, liberals, leftists, libertarians, moderates, and apolitical types within our movement. We have that political diversity in part because there are arguments you can make in favor of unions from all of these different perspectives. And many workers are able to consider not just their political ideologies or their hot takes on the latest topic of political discourse or culture war, but they're able to consider their direct material benefit from being in the union. Whatever disagreements they might have with the union or its leadership or even, you know, their fellow members. And, you know, I know for me, I've been able to work alongside and organize alongside and struggle alongside workers of various beliefs, uh, many of them quite different from mine. But nonetheless, we were united in our common interest as workers and in our common expectations of respect and dignity for ourselves and our co-workers. I mean, if you've ever been a delegate to your union's National Assembly, and I have, you know there's a hell of a lot of debate about all kinds of issues within our unions. There's tension between the rank and file and the leadership. There's tension inside the unions between governance and management and staff. There's tension between different unions, whether it's, you know, the building trades versus industrial unions or turf wars within certain industries. Unions are remarkable at bringing people together across racial, gender, religious, ethnic, and other demographic and cultural lines. But, of course, that diversity also means tension at times. There can be no arguing that U.S. labor has been on the back foot for the last 50 years though arguably labor's peak strength was even, you know, well before that. 
uh, when our movement was able to win Social Security and unemployment and disability and overtime pay and the 40-hour work week and came damn close to getting the 30-hour work week. Uh, but, you know, before I go off about that, um, reflecting back on this more contemporary movement, you know, we've been decimated by Reaganism, neoliberalism, you know, call it whatever you want to. We've been decimated by globalization and free trade, decimated by anti-worker laws and policies and politicians and regulators and judges and bureaucrats, decimated by the huge shift in the balance of power. Corporate America, which is aligned with ever-increasingly right-wing Republicans alongside corporate Democrats, struck back hard against the progress that we made in the early to mid-20th century. Our unions have lost ground in terms of our membership and our density and in terms of our political and economic power. And as a result, we've seen working people's lives get significantly worse, from stagnant wages to worse benefits and security to rising cost of living to even lowered life expectancies in some cases, all while inequality of income and wealth have skyrocketed to levels we haven't seen since the roaring 20s and the gilded age of the late 19th century robber barons. We, the working class, have by and large been getting our ass kicked in the class struggle of these last five decades, and reversing this trend will take strong unions, it will take collective organization, and will take working class solidarity. And despite the decline of labor power in the modern era, we have reasons to believe that in these past couple years, particularly with the disruption of COVID, among other factors, that there is an upsurge in the working class movement generally and the labor movement specifically. Unions are at record highs in Gallup opinion polls. We've seen unions spreading in new industries and among new companies whether it's workers taking on corporate giants like Amazon, to the growth of service sector organizing, to minor league athletes going union, to the organizing happening on college and university campuses across the nation. We've seen a wave of youth getting involved in labor in a way we haven't seen in years. We've seen exciting new strategies and tactics in labor organizing, from the building of grassroots independent unions to the innovative use of technology, We've seen rank-and-file reform caucuses grow in strength in union after union, and even winning power, like with the Teamsters and with the UAW. We've seen high-profile strikes, including right now with the actors and writers, as well as high-profile labor struggles that have come close to strikes. In surviving the pandemic and its aftermath, workers saw the power of unions to fight for better conditions. And at least for a brief moment, workers gained some leverage during the disruptions in the economy and the limited but still impactful expansion of government relief and social spending. Unemployment is still quite low, even though the Federal Reserve seems bound and determined to undercut worker bargaining power through its fiscal policy and is deliberately trying to increase unemployment. But we've even seen unions become a much bigger story in the corporate-controlled media and a much bigger topic of discussion among politicians, whether it's pandering from some or targeting by others. The labor movement has the power to bring together the diverse working-class majority along our common interests. The labor movement has the potential to improve our lives as workers, from immediate shop floor wins to longer-term progress in our communities and neighborhoods. Unions can foster relationships among workers, which are critical to our success. 
In the South in particular, the labor movement has the power and the potential to counteract the divide and conquer strategies of the bosses and the politicians, to fight back against the hyper-exploitation and hyper-extraction of the South and its workforce and its resources. The labor movement can build the interracial people power that has so frightened the ruling elites in the South all these years because they know it can bring the kind of change we so urgently need. Building a working class movement rooted in love, justice, and solidarity can transform our lives and our society. And given the multiple layers of crisis we're facing as a society and as a species, it seems to me we don't have a choice but to do that, to build a working class movement rooted in love, justice, and solidarity. Yeah, absolutely. And beyond a lot of this, you know, interpersonal benefits, there are a, a lot of, like Adam said, real material benefits. Union workers make more. They're more likely to have health insurance. Uh, they have more time off, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we don't have time to get into all of that that we had had prepped. We want to make sure we have time to uh, get Teddy on the program. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break really quick, our final break. And then we'll be right back with Teddy Ostro to talk about the tentative agreement between the Teamsters and UPS. In Alabama, more than 200,000 of our friends and neighbors are living without health care coverage. Often folks can't stay healthy enough to keep their jobs. We need to fix this. Let's close the health care coverage gap. To learn more, visit CoverAlabama.org. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. .org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. 
The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256-415-7452. Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better, work union, local 366, feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senyard. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's www.uawregion, the number 8, dot N-E-T. A better future is ours. Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. In the studio with us, we have local comedian Sci-Fi. We appreciate him jumping in. And uh, we appreciate everybody hanging out with us on the radio and in the YouTube chat. We have about a hundred people watching us, and only 30 people have liked the stream. So let's get those numbers up and subscribe as well. I was checking our YouTube analytics the other day and 80% of the people who are watching our videos are not subscribed. Uh, We are only 50 away from 5,000, so we could make it if everybody watching the stream subscribed. Um, Either way, we really appreciate your time and let's go ahead and bring Teddy on. Teddy Teddy Ostro is a journalist he is a, uh, a freelance journalist, and he is host of the Upsurge podcast. That is a podcast that has been going on for some time now about this fight between the Teamsters and UPS. He's been covering these contract negotiations 
long before anybody in the mainstream media has, uh, before they realized that this was going on. Um, our first coverage of this, I believe, was almost exactly a year ago when we brought on uh, Brother Tony Rosario from uh, New York Local 804 to talk about the contract negotiations and the contract, or the contract campaign negotiations had not begun yet. Uh, but nobody has been as thorough and as consistent in their coverage as Teddy. So we're really excited to have him on to talk about this. Teddy, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me again. I see y'all. Yep, you too. Before we jump into the tentative agreement, though, can you give us a really quick background on what is going on at Yellow Freight? Uh, I saw some mention of that in the chat this morning as well, um, and and that is another you know that's that's another story that's been in the news uh, involving the Teamsters. Obviously, not as large as UPS, but what is the deal there? Yeah, this is a really big story that isn't getting as much attention because all of the press is, you know, it's being swallowed up by, drowned out by like what's going on at UPS, but it's a pretty serious situation. Yellow, it's like a nearly a hundred year uh, company. It used to be a yellow cab company, um, but now it's like the third largest LTL, less than truckload um, freight company in the United States. It's a union company represented uh, by the Teamsters. We're talking about 30,000 workers, 22,000 of which are Teamster members. And it it, it looks like it's not been uh, officially announced yet, uh, but it looks like on Monday they may go into bankruptcy, which is, hmm. yeah, this is a long, this is a part of a long saga uh, of mismanagement at the company, uh, concessions by the union to help prop up the company and uh you know some spurious loans and just you know a, a range of things that uh, are amounting to basically the implosion of this company and it's it's honestly it's a tragedy is what we're what we're experiencing you know um everyone talks about ups the ups contract uh amazon organizing as two of the central you know mandates of the new teamsters leadership of the labor movement but turning around Union Freight, which was like mm. the bread and butter industry of the Teamsters up until this industry was just completely uh, reshaped and just destroyed uh, because of uh, deregulation in the 80s. Uh, yeah, they wanted to re they wanted to turn it around. And this is not uh, this is not a particularly good thing to happen um, for the pursuit uh, of unionizing uh, this really dire um, industry with dire conditions for workers. Absolutely. And of course, like any time there is a unionized business that closes, the uh, you know, the the corporate answer to that is gonna be just that these union workers were simply too greedy. Uh yep. but what does the history of the negotiations between the Teamsters and Yellow over the last ten to fifteen years tell you about the uh, you know, the truth value of of that argument? Right. Yeah, that's what we've been hearing out of corporate. Yellow is, is being pretty pointed with all of their statements saying this is the union that is doing this to us. Um, but the reality is I want to just, you know, before I even bring in Yellow, uh, Union Freight, as I said before, was completely destroyed by deregulation in the 80s. Like we're talking about 450,000 
freight workers uh, represented by the National uh, Master Freight Con Agreement. Um, and now I think there's under 60,000 union freight members. Hmm. Um, and uh, we're potentially about to lose 22,000 of those. So not looking good. This is an industry-wide issue for the union. Now, yellow specifically, um, according to the, I'm no yellow expert. Um, there should be a deep investigation into what's going on at that company because from what I'm hearing, what I could tell, it's a very, very poorly run company. And it has mm -hmm. been for a very long time. Around 15 years ago, it was on the brink of bankruptcy as well. Um, and the union uh, basically... Uh, gave its pension away parts of the country uh conceded billions of dollars to the to the company to prop it up basically mm -hmm. um and they also have been suffering through having wages um pensions where they remained or were not converted into 401k plans you know define not no longer defined benefit plans but uh defined contribution plans which are far worse um this this union company really was was behind the others even behind some of the non-union companies so the the union conceded quite a lot under hoffa jr um and over time right we even saw a pandemic era 700 million dollar loan that uh, a federal investigation found was a, a really big misstep by the by the federal government because mm. yellow was down bad you know loaded with debt but what we're looking at now, you know, the most recent history after all this financial management um, is that Yellow was, you know, trying to fix itself, try to uh, remodel itself, restructure, and it's called a change of operations. This was, they basically were taking some of their companies, uh, you know, their their carriers that they had bought over the years, probably maybe they shouldn't have bought them. They didn't have the money for it. And they're right. trying to, they were trying to combine them, you know, unite these networks, which According to the people I've heard, it probably was a good idea, but what that change of operations would include would be forcing some of these union yellow drivers into dock work, which hmm. you, you might ask, why is that a, such a big deal? Well, you're making these drivers who maybe have only driving, you know, for their entire career, and you're forcing them into dock work, you're forcing them into this utility position. And this is a concession, you know, union freight contracts, uh, you know, have a rigidity to them. You do what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to drive or you're supposed to do dock work for a reason. And right. Teamsters generally don't want to have this kind of get seed, this kind of flexibility to the, to the company. And so what happened uh, is the Teamster said, you're not going to do that. You're going to, if you want to like, you know, reopen the contract, which expires in 2024, we can do that, but we're not going to let you do this. Yellow, of course, uh, cried bloody murder and was saying, you're going to make us go bankrupt. It's you, it's the union. Instead of, them loading themselves with debt and financially mismanaging the company teamsters held strong and said look we're not going to give you any more we're not going to give you any more concessions this is your fault if this this implodes um and you know they sued the union for 138 million dollars um they stopped paying into the central states health and welfare and pension funds um uh, in june and they said they wouldn't do it in july so this is to the tune of 50 million dollars going unpaid which means uh, that these workers um, were, you know, about to lose, uh, basically, the, their their health insurance companies would stop paying for their claims, and also their pensions would no longer accrue. Um, that they actually, the pension fund um, extended 
uh, gave grace to them at uh, the last minute. And uh, Teamsters were going to strike the company on uh, July 24th um, if that were if that didn't happen, if the if the uh, health and welfare funds didn't, uh, you know, uh, basically extend the coverage. And so that happened. But now we're looking at bankruptcy. So this is a mm. long, long uh, you know, even even the most recent months has been a long sort of uh, history of of mismanagement and and pointing fingers. But really, this is Yellow's fault, and it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, and especially when you know this is going to be used against the union, even though, uh, like you said, over the last fifteen uh, years they have given away billions of dollars to this company, and the government has given billions of dollars to this company. And somehow the executives are going to be able to, if they go bankrupt, they're going to be able to go bankrupt. And the media narrative is not going to be, uh, you know, maybe uh, the C-suite executives aren't <laughs> so smart after all. It's going to be uh, those union workers who maybe a couple of them make six figures. Uh, they're just asking for too much. And that's really a shame. So, no, um, oh, no, no, please. So let's go ahead and talk about this tentative agreement. That's uh, what's on everybody's mind over the last week or so. The tentative tentative agreement was announced on Tuesday. The highlights went out and the full contract actually went out pretty soon after that. It was Wednesday or Thursday that the full contract came out. So, um, you know, now uh, everybody's had at least a couple of days to, to read the contract. I, I wouldn't imagine ever, um, that most of us have read the full thing. I've taken a look at some of the articles. Um, but uh, but Teddy, talk to us about what's in what's in the TA and, and, and put it in, uh, you know, put it in context. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did read through the whole thing. Um, I am, I am not a lawyer, so I've been talking to a bunch of people to try to fully understand it. I don't know if I'm fully there yet. Probably most of the membership hasn't actually read the whole thing and they don't, aren't fully there yet. Some of the folks I trust deeply are still trying to understand some of the language because this is complicated stuff. So I just want to mm. preface it that way. Um, there's a lot of stuff in it. Uh, I, I can like go through, uh, just quickly, some of the most important things. I think a lot of it has already been talked talked about on this show. Um, for one, they did eliminate the two-tier driver system, um, which was an enormous sticking point, which really was the impetus for, um, you know, electing Sean O'Brien in 2021. Mm. And for this contract campaign, that was one of the biggest key issues. So they did eliminate that, which is, which is a huge, which is a huge deal. Um, right. You know, and this is a this is setting precedent for other companies to delete their own tiers, you know, to abolish their own tiers, such as the, uh, you know, auto contracts that are coming up, big three auto contract expirations for the UAW. That's a huge part of their mandate. Um, right. So moving on, we can talk about the raises. There was a general wage increase of 750, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about wages, but 750 wage general wage increase um, compared to the last contract. That is very, very good. Some people are making mm. even more, um, you know, across the uh, contract. Um, you know, well, let's see. Keep go if we keep going. There's, there's, uh, seems to be more going into pensions. We still have to wait on that for the supplementals to come out and see. Um, Paul Prescott in the chat mentioned that you know that that there's some like really significant uh, uh, pension improvements, uh, like even a thousand dollars a month more. In some cases, right? 
Yeah, I think there's a thousand dollar increase in the monthly pension payout for 60,000 workers in the central and southern regions. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, I have to say this is one of the things that I, I am trying to understand right now. And I'm talking talking with some folks, so I, right. I can't speak heavily on this, but um, from what I hear, uh, it, yeah, there is a significant a significant increase for a sizable number of the workers. Um, but again, I I I want to hear from uh, some folks after talking about the supplementals. Full time jobs is also a really a big one, important thing. Um, you know, they created 7,500 new full-time work uh, inside jobs, 22 threes, they're called according to the contract. Um, and this is a pretty big deal because last time in 2018, they, they said they wanted to create 5,000 new, Mm. uh, full-time jobs. It wasn't, however, there were loopholes about what those jobs would be. Um, what is really desired is full-time jobs inside the warehouse, um, Mm. right to uh and creating these from part-time jobs giving part-time workers the opportunity to get full-time jobs and this has just simply not been the case um since the last contract and even further back you know some of the wins from 97 from 2002 weren't fully weren't fulfilled because of um basically the the previous administration didn't want to fulfill them they didn't care to um you know uh enforce the contract which is very necessary Anyway, so there's 7,500 new full-time jobs, which is a big deal, and it doesn't appear like there's any sort of loophole to fill these jobs with other jobs, give it to full-timers. This seems pretty concrete, but it will be up to the union to, I think, uh, enforce it again. Moving on to working conditions, uh, you know, there there apparently will be no driver-facing cameras, or at least the audio and video functions will be uh, disabled which is, uh, you know, was a big demand last year, especially when there was, we were comparing, uh, UPSers were comparing the lack of air conditioning in the package car. Meanwhile, this surveillance device that was being introduced in some package cars, uh, you know, presumably to discipline the drivers. So additional to that is that they can't use um, some of the other technologies. They can't use them uh, solely uh, for uh, discipline or they can't, Hmm. they have to use other factors to discipline drivers there there are remaining driver facing sensors that will be used for training purposes um but yeah it looks like that these are out they're not fully out of the package car perhaps um but this appears to me like again of course we all know about the air conditioning and new package fleet um starting in uh, next year with uh purchased package cars um and you can stop me at any point i'm just going through because there's a lot in this um and there, these are some of very important wins, and we can get to whether you know the the, the reaction of the membership. But air conditioning in new package cars, uh, heat shields and ventilation retrofitted, um, you know, within eighteen months, uh, basically uh, the entire fleet. This should be helpful to some folks. I mean, I know some people were concerned that it won't affect the entire fleet uh, super soon, but nonetheless, it's it's better than. Uh, from my perspective, it's better than having no air conditioning and no heat shields and no ventilation. Right. Uh, it really is going, amazing. I mean, just to dwell on that for a second, mm-hmm. that UPS has made it so long without putting air conditioning in their package cars. Yes. Like this is not an expensive thing to do at all. Um, and, and the idea that they just haven't done it for so long is wild to me. Yeah. That's and. Insane. And just to just to linger there for a second, and we can continue talking about the specific provisions in the contract, but maybe it's important 
I'm in the tentative agreement, but maybe it's important to just linger on here for a second, which is this was unthinkable about a year ago. Hmm. That something as simple as air conditioning would be put in the package car. And you have to ask, why did they get it? And it's what you said um, earlier in the show, which is they launched a year-long contract campaign. They organized like hell. They mobilized. They educated people. I mean, especially in the past month or so, by mobilizing people, organizing people into practice pickets, um, rallies, uh, parking lot meetings, um, really, really uh, thousands, thousands of members going into some of these webinars, um, especially with the help of Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Uh, they built a credible strike threat. And they, by doing that, that is the only reason they are getting, um, you know, what appears to be mm. a number of really big gains. Um, of course, there are questions that some members are having, and I don't know, we can talk about it if you'd like, about they want to win more. But the, the mm. narrative here, I think, in this TA is that workers fought and they won. And this is this is going to have reverberations around the labor movement. Um, it, I think that's really important to linger on the point. And I can continue going through some of the stuff. There's there's other big important things in this uh, that we can talk about as well, like eliminating forced overtime, the sixth punch specifically. Basically, workers were um, made to come in. They were able to be forced in on the sixth day. Uh, now that won't be the case. Uh, you, you can work that sixth day if you want to. You can't be forced in to do it. And this is a this was a huge, yeah. huge demand by package car drivers specifically. Um, and, and to uh, be specific about it, uh, package car drivers won't be able to be forced in on sixth day. I think other workers will be able to. Um, but for package car drivers who were forced in six days a week, 14 hours a day, especially during like the height, the e-commerce boom and the pandemic, this mm -hmm. is this is life changing stuff. Absolutely. Um, now to keep going, Martin Luther King Day is a paid holiday. You know, uh, it does look like there are some provisions to prevent uh, specifically semi-truck driver work called feeder work in, in UPS um, to prevent some subcontracting of that work. Um, that is another field that I, is is far more complicated. And I, I'm trying to talk to some folks to really understand what's going on there. It looks like they are uh, limiting personal vehicle drivers. Those are the gig drivers. They're not completely gone, but they're limiting the uh, the peak season in which they were able to operate and well as well as they're giving priority to part-time workers in order to take those roles with an eight-hour guarantee. Part of the problem with this stuff is that like uh, the, specifically the gig work is there was kind of like uh, a free-for-all about how these folks could be treated around the country. Mm. Um, this is now it's more concrete about how these guys are going to be treated. Uh, they they you know, some people had car insurance provided by UPS, others didn't. Now they're all going to get insurance. They're all going to get mileage uh, reimbursements. Um, and so, you know, they're not gone, but it does look like the the practice will be more curtailed. Um, and yeah, that's, I, I may have missed some stuff and we can dig into some things. Um, and, you know, I didn't dig deep into some of the stuff that some UPSers out there probably wanted more from. Um, but overall, what we're looking at is like, uh, a contract that is far, far better than 2018, probably far better um, than those uh, in the past few decades. Absolutely. And I think that is, you and I were talking uh, yesterday, I, I think, about um, Jane McAlevey's article in The Nation, and we felt like that framing was just, <clears throat> was just so good that this is, there really are 
you know, genuinely a lot of gains here. Um, parti- you know, one of the things that you didn't mention was the part-timers, um, that there, there have right. been a lot of part-timers that have been organizing for 25 an hour. Uh, and so 21 an hour definitely falls significantly short of that. But there are people across the country and right here in Alabama who are part-timers working for 1550 an hour. And right. so if this contract goes through, um, or, you know, if, if they, you know, if, if it, if it doesn't go through and, and they get something better, but just, just on the $21 an hour, um, thinking about as of August 1st, having a $5 50 cent an hour raise for hundreds, thousands of workers across the state of Alabama, across the country, that's huge. Right. And of it's, course, it's enormous. it is, I mean, it, it is enormous. And, um, and the, uh, you know, 21 an hour is certainly not enough in places like Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York. Um, and, and that was, you know, a really big part of the 25, uh, demand there. Uh, but, but even what, you know, even what is in the, the tentative agreement is, I mean, it's a lot better, right? What was the, um, do you remember the increase, um, in the, the raises from the 2018 contract for comparison's sake? This is something I've been meaning to do, so I know don't I I won't be able to tell you right now. Um, I'm mm. I'm trying to do as much comparison as possible. I'm also looking back to '97, um, so I don't know what I do know and can tell you is I have folks talk. I'm talking to folks who've been here for you know, 20 years or so, and they're like, mm-hmm. I've never seen a a, wa- a general wage increase like this. Um, so that $7. I, I see that as as quite big. Yeah, seven dollars and fifty cents over yes, per and, hour at a minimum over the next five years. Right, and just uh, um, apologies to not specifically uh, talk about like the part time stuff um, because that is was that is what uh, the contract talks broke down on on July fifth. Came back to the table. This is presumably what they were negotiating and to mm-hmm. settle on this. Right, so seven fifty general wage increase. It could it it could be actually. Uh, substantially lo- larger than that for some folks, um, right? Because you know, basically, what's happening is if you're under twenty one, if you're a part timer and you're under twenty one dollars an hour, um, you either get, uh, you know, the first year you get two seventy five, um, uh, immediate raise, or you are re- you just you're you boost right up to twenty one dollars an hour, whichever mm-hmm. one's higher. Then right. part-timers who have uh, longevity, uh, five years, five to 10 years, 10 to 15 years, um, you know, there's a scale, you are going to make an extra 50 cents to a $1.50 um, an hour more. So some folks are getting seven fifty, some folks are getting more than that. Um, so these wage increases, uh, you know, up to interpretation, whether they're what people, you know, I think we can safely say they're not what people deserve. People deserve far more, you know, people... Right. Folks probably deserve, you know, the people were talking about how uh, these these uh, full time drivers don't deserve 49 an hour. Um, I would say they deserve a lot more than that. I would say the part timers deserve a lot more than 21 or 25 right. or 30, you know. Um, but in relative terms, and uh, you know, especially for this labor movement, this time, uh, workers mm-hmm. fought and they got enormous gains in this tentative agreement. Exactly, and and that's and and you know, there's been a lot of 
you know, there, there's been a lot of people echoing some of those things that, that Jane said in that article from The Nation. Uh, Paul mentioned it in the chat today, Paul Prescott. Uh, he's been on the show before. He's an organizer for Teamsters for a Democratic Union. I have one of their shirts on right now that I got at Labor Notes last year. Um, and he said that, that you know, it, it's important and possible and, and I think necessary, right, to, to hold these two things in your head that yep. this that this is not there there weren't as far as we can tell concessions we, the teamsters didn't give anything to ups and they got more than they have at least since 97 um and that is yep. because of everything that's happened over the last year but uh and and if you don't recognize it, it, it that there were there was work done and it was to a degree, successful over the last year because so many people put in so many hours over the last year on this contract campaign. And if you can't recognize that that won things at the bargaining table, then, you know, it does kind of become disempowering if if people, yes. you know, run around calling this a, you know, like a sellout contract, right? right. I mean, there's a there's right. a difference between we deserve more and I believe we can get more and and saying it's a sellout contract, right? Exactly. You we we talked about this the other day. You know, yeah. I think we can look. You know, I've ta I'm talking to members right now, and uh, like tons and tons of members. I think I told you I, I must have at least talked to over fifty at this point individual right. people um, from around the country. And like what I'm hearing is the the predominant thing I'm hearing is this is a solid contract. We won. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. But there is some sense, right, that they that we could have won more, right. um, and that's a healthy thing to to believe, yes. and that's actually incredible that you you are like you won this contract, this tentative agreement. It's not, it, you know, we still have to see whether it's going to be voted up or down, but to believe that you have the power to have more, um, that's an incredible thing. You know, for example, you know, as far as I can tell, you're right. I don't see. Um, you know, I guess it depends on your definition of concession, but I don't see any concessions. A lot of folks are talking about one specific thing that it looks like there's a new wage tier. You know, mm -hmm. arguably there's a new wage tier among part timers because newcomers will uh, be on a different progress will be on a progression that will make them uh, seemingly until the next contract permanently, uh, you know, making less than current part timers. Mm -hmm. And that's arguably a tier, right? But it's a little right. bit different than like the 22-4 second tier driving, which is new hires um, didn't get things right. They didn't have 9-5 rights, the excessive overtime rights, and they got less money um, mm -hmm. than the uh, first tier drivers. That's a concession. Here, one one group is getting a big b bigger boost than the other right. but both are getting boosts and we you can debate all day you know i'm not going to say one thing or another about whether um they should do this or should not do that you know i'm not a ups worker you guys are the ones um, who are watching you guys are the ones who are going to decide whether or not this is enough for you guys um but that we have to be real about what we're looking at that's not a concession that's mm -hmm. not a concession um and yeah, the folks who I'm talking to, as I said, um, I'm, you know, looking at this from the outside. 
there is a feeling that like what in my mind i'm like what could have been won with a strike what could what could this country right. look like um with a strike or, or as jane mcalevy asked in that nation article what would a what would this strike have look at, looked like if they had delayed negotiations to line up with the auto workers contracts right um uh, the big three contracts that expire in mid-september what how what could be what where what's the reality of what could have been won those are really healthy and really important mm -hmm. questions to ask right um, how much leverage a, a struck a power analysis like like jane talks about exactly. do we you know do we have enough power to win more and and i think you know i mean I think you and I are, or at least I am, I won't speak for you. I'm sympathetic to the argument that there is more on the table. Um, but also, like you said, uh, that is for uh, the UPS Teamsters to decide. And yes. and one of the things that, that we want to do with bringing you on and, and, and over the next, you know, week or so is is helping people to get educated and and while i'm talking about helping people get educated um there are a couple of there are a couple programs on youtube that are run by teamsters uh that are uh really good at this stuff and that's uh roswell hub and the bi-weekly grievance uh both of those run by ups teamsters and on the roswell hub they just put up uh, two hours, a two-hour video yep. of like line by line through the contract with Greg. Greg Kerwood. Kerwood. So he's doing, um, he's doing so God's work. Doing God's work, absolutely. Uh, so definitely check those out if you're a UPS Teamster. We've only been able to get to the highlights right now. Um, and and you know some of the uh, 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 some of the uh, member reactions, and and what you're seeing is is similar to what I'm seeing. I, we got this text message last week saying, hello, Mason from UPS Local 89 in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I just got word that new hires and anyone under 21 will now receive $20, $21 an hour effective immediately. It seems like the strike will not happen now, and it's so exciting. And then there are, and there are people in the, uh, like, I've seen people in the chat saying more or less, and I apologize, I'm not going to be able to say your name because it's been going by fairly quickly, but, you know, saying more or less, this is a good contract, um, and therefore I'm voting yes. And there are other people that are saying, you know, it's a good contract, but we could get more. And so I'm voting no. Right. And that that seems to be kind of where the membership is right now. And I'll say also, like, I, I actually sort of pulled up some of my friends who are online but aren't following this mm. as much as me. I'm kind of like, what are you like? I asked yeah. genuinely, like, what are you seeing? Someone who's not me, someone who's paying attention, literally talking to dozens and dozens of workers. Um, and they they see stuff. Uh, they see some of the critique, they see the excitement and they're kind of like, okay, I guess there's like, this is, this is, this is kind of a win. And I, and mm. I, and thankfully I think there's more and more coming out that is just emphasizing that this is a win. Um, yeah. And even some of the folks I think who were like had emotional reactions to the highlights, to yeah. a first glance at the uh, first glance, you know, at the actual contract language, let's remember this came out, you know the highlights came out on tuesday i mm. believe the the actual language came out on thursday um yeah it's been a hell of a week forgive me but you know people are having emotional reactions people are reading yeah. it people don't uh, fully understand it or they do understand it and they're they're upset or they're incredibly happy so 
the voting will take place between August 3rd and August 22nd. Um, there's a lot to learn. Um, the UPSers are going to talk to each other, going to learn from each other. Um, they're going to think about this. Um, mm -hmm. Thankfully, we have people to kind of put it in perspective, like Jane McAlevey, also uh, other folks, I think, out there. Luis Felice Leon has been taken to Twitter to really, you know, yeah. put this all in historical context, which is really, really valuable. Oh. People need to Hold understand. Hold on. I'm sorry. We're going off the radio now. See you next week, radio folks. <laughs>